we were in Ephesus, or you know, the, the group was in Ephesus. Paul had sent a couple companions uh, ahead of him to go to Macedonia. And uh, while he was staying around in Ephesus, um, uh, I would say a, a near riot broke out. And it had to do with uh, the fact that when Christianity, um, or I guess when people feel threatened, right, they, they want to attack those that they are feeling that threat um, from. And uh, for the Ephesians, that threat was Christianity. And chief among them was Paul, who came in and was, was preaching this thing, that, uh, this message that was t- taking people's attention off of their God and placing it, on, um, placing it on Jesus Christ. And so, because of that, Paul decided to, to leave, and we'll touch base uh, on that in just a second. <clears throat> As uh, Paul goes to um, Macedonia and then goes to Greece and kind of finishes up, where actually he's going to end his, his third missionary journey, and we're going to kind of get to the close of that in the next couple weeks. Um, he's got one last journey, but uh, it's not for mission purposes, at least not purposely set out for mission purposes. We will see that the Lord does use that no matter where he goes and whatever situation he's in. Um, but Paul goes purposely to go build up the churches. And so a couple of things we're going to see today uh, specifically is that we're going to see two kind of uh, ideas that are expressed, at least in the translation, is that Paul is going to go for encouragement and he's going to go for comforting. And so as we think about our own lives, um, I want to first think like physically. So we're going to like tangible physical things. What are things that encourage you? Um, things that, you know, uh, somebody shares with you um, that you feel bring you encouragement. Maybe it's, you know... You weren't even thinking about something, and that just kind of brightens your day. Maybe it is something that when you're feeling kind of down, it kind of reorients your, your mind. But I want to think, what are some physical things that, that you personally feel like encouraged by? What brings you encouragement? Chocolate. <clears throat> Chocolate. So, what's that? Babies. Babies? Holding them? Is that, I guess, right? Grandbabies. Grandbabies, Grandbabies specifically. Um, Okay? Children vacuuming. vacuuming. Without being told? It's like, I'm doing something right. (laughs) Okay? We're all all over the place, right? Music. Music, okay. Music can do that. What other things? The ocean. The ocean. Okay. Settings. Where you're at. A call from a friend. Okay. What's that? Brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay. Um, so these are all things that right can can kind of lift our spirits, right? Sometimes you know, and it's it's amazing. It's, it's sometimes we want to want to, um, and I, the reason I said something physical is that uh, that the Lord has has allowed, right, things to bless, right, those who um, follow him and those who don't follow him, right? There are things in this world that can kind of bring happiness, whether it is something like food, something physical that, that you ingest and you eat, and that was good. Maybe it's got royal icing on it. Was that the official, you know? Um, and so uh, contact with other people, uh, right, especially somebody that you haven't heard from for from a while, that, that can kind of, you know, reorient your mind, especially if you were having a bad day, you kind of 
forget thinking about some of those things. It could be certain settings, right? You know, there's one of those things that, um, you know, even, even as theologians try to discuss, uh, you know, where is this idea of beauty come from? The fact that, um, you know, worshipers of God and those who don't even believe in a God can still have some idea of looking at something and say that's beautiful, whether it's a painting or a sunset or something like that. And there's things that the Lord has kind of put in our lives to encourage everyone to kind of brighten, brighten their spirits uh, for everyone. What about on the side of comforting? So think about that, that idea of comfort. What's it really the difference between encouragement and comforting when, when you hear those two words? Okay. So encouragement is something to kind of keep propel you forward. Okay. <clears throat> What's the difference between that and, and comforting? What do we typically think of when we think of the idea of comforting? A place of rest. What's that? A place of rest. A place of rest. Okay, which also, if, you, if you're thinking about rest, means that it's probably also during a time of unrest, right? Is that you get that peace during a, during a difficult time. Okay, what else? Any, anything else about the difference between comforting and encouraging? Okay, okay. So you think more physical as far as comforting? Okay. For you, yeah, yeah. That's fine, that's fine. So, <laughs> everybody take note, okay? <laughs> For Tim. Well, we're going we're gonna to look at that, this idea, and we're going to see how, how these ideas kind of manifest themselves. And it's something that's important in the life of the church. And actually when we go, you know, it's, it's interesting that in this passage, in the narrative where we're going to see... And where Paul's going to go, there's a letter that he writes, and we, we see some of the similar ideas kind of come out through that. So let's start at, at the beginning of, of Acts chapter 20, and uh, we'll see where, where Paul and his companions go next. And so we, we really see here that uh, we have encouraging others to minister in this uh, section in chapter 20, starting in verse 1. And it says, after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. And when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. Then he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater, the Berean son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Right in here is, you know, you read some of these passages, and especially as you get through Acts, you know, um, Luke will kind of you know, sometimes stop and say, this is what they did, this is what was said, and kind of give to a narrative. We almost get an itinerary about, like, Paul, you know, three months have passed in a paragraph, and uh, Paul has gone here, and then he went there, and he brought these people with them. And sometimes you get lost in some of the the details and the numbers, um, but if we flesh them out, we can kind of see what's going on um, along the way. So, 
Is it, yes, Eric. Yes, yes. Yeah, and so we'll, when we get to that, that point, we'll make note of that, or at least uh, reference that, that point, and we can stop and maybe, maybe think about that idea, um, because we've seen it before, um, and so we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, but definitely true, definitely true. We see, we see as Paul is going, there's more people gathered, there's more people that are joining him in what's going on. And we'll f- stop and reflect and say, well, why is that? Uh, what's the purpose in that? Well, the first thing in chapter 20, it says, after the uproar ceased, and what was that uproar? What was it that we talked about last time? What's that? Yeah. So the, the thing going on in Ephesus, where essentially the whole city was, uh, was brought together crying, great is Artemis, because they felt that their god Artemis, which, um, you know, they had a temple there, was one of the seven wonders of the world. The people that worked building shrines for Artemis or little artifacts that people, tourists, would take back with them and worship them, that um, their business was hurt. So it was hurting them financially. It was hurting their national pride uh, or their city pride, um, because specifically... The Ephesians felt like this is our God, and they revered that God. And so we talked about that a lot last week, um, and that was under threat. And so because of that, this group of people kind of started shouting, great is Artemis. The next thing you know, the whole city's meeting in the large amphitheater that holds 25,000 people, and for two hours straight, they're shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And so as they're yelling that, you know, the town clerk had to come and say, hey, listen, if we continue this... Um, the Romans, who you know were under their, uh, their under their, um, I guess their empire, that they're going to come and put a stop to this, and it might not be good. And so, when the town clerk had had said, "Okay, there's a couple things that you could do if you really want to take this legal matters, you can go take them to the proconsuls. They're ready right now. You can bring them at the next town assembly, and that's another way that you can do it. But we can't do it right here, right now." because uh, the Roman soldiers might come in and put a stop to it. And so after that uproar ceased, Paul says, I'm going to leave. We looked at that right at the end. So why do, you, why do you think Paul wanted to leave? What were the reasons that Paul left? I mean, he could have said, I'm not doing anything wrong. Uh, and the town clerk said that. He's not blaspheming or God. He's not saying anything that would legally, at least from his point of view, uh, be under threat. But you're more than willing to, to follow that course. But why would Paul leave? We see Paul leave, you know, a lot of times after this happens. What's, what's some of the reasons? Okay. You definitely diffuse the situation. The situation, um, if the situation wasn't diffused, what, would, what could happen? Okay. So Paul could specifically be stoned. Paul could specifically be under threat. Um, what, what is his... What is his, uh, you know, who's he looking after? He, yeah. And right now, the, the, the people, when they brought them in, again, it was made, made note of last time that it was, it was directly to the outsiders. Those that were, um, were not from around that area were dragged into, uh, into the, the theater. They were looking for Paul. You know, the Jews started to get kind of pulled into this. And so the Ephesians were like, anybody who's not one of us seems to be a threat to us. And so Paul is like, well, I'm just going to remove myself from the situation um, because I don't want this then turning their attention to the church. 
He'd seen that before. He'd seen that in Thessalonica. If you read the letters to the Thessalonians, when Paul left, you know, he, he didn't leave on his own accord. He, same situation. that He left because um, there was another a guy dragged into uh, the court. It wasn't him. That was the last time we saw that happen. And Paul's like, you know, I need to leave. And he know, knows that because of that, there was a lot of unrest. So he wanted to leave before that. He also wanted to leave before they had the opportunity to actually bring him before the courts and uh, throw him in jail um, which he had already spent a couple places. He, he has already been in jail. And so he wants to move on. He wants to leave the church as it is. He spent three years there and uh, is ready to, to move on. He had already mentioned, though, that he wants to go to Macedonia. And so this just seems like this is the Lord's timing to, to, to go to Macedonia. And that's what it says. Um, he brought the disciples together. He encouraged them, right? Um, you know, he's the one that's under fire. He's, you know, he knows that he's leaving kind of maybe a tense situation. He wants to encourage them to stay strong, to uh, continue um, along the course that they're going. And then he leaves. And that's typical what Paul does. When he goes somewhere, he wants to encourage them and then moves on to the next place. And so it says that he goes to Macedonia and then he went to Greece. And so that was kind of quickly mentioned. I want us to pause and, and, and go to 2 Corinthians to kind of get a little insight. Um, and I mentioned this last time that Paul had written to the Corinthians. Um, he actually wrote four letters, uh, either from Ephesus or uh, when he left Ephesus. Something that the 2 Corinthians is actually written when he left Ephesus and was staying in, in uh, Macedonia, um, he had made a visit to Corinth during that time uh, to check up on them because he had gotten word back that things weren't going well, that there were factions. And when he sent his letter, that they responded instead of um, with remorse, they, they uh, kind of attacked him. And so he needed to send another letter to rebuke him. And then he had gone and uh, kind of made things worse. And so we see in 2 Corinthians, though, that things have kind of cooled down a little bit. In 2 Corinthians uh, 2, verse 12, we'll read actually a couple of different places, that Paul kind of mentions what happens, because Luke doesn't mention that at all. Uh, It's just that he left Ephesus, and then he went to Macedonia. On the way to Macedonia, though, he would likely go through Troas. And so we see in verse 12... Chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians, it says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. Okay, so we see that, um, and we'll see in, in a little bit, that Paul has sent Titus. It's interesting, Titus is mentioned. Luke never mentions Titus. But Titus uh, was sent ahead to kind of check up on the church in Corinth. This church is a burden to, to Paul. Like, he, he's not there. He spent, you know, a year and a half there, um, moved on, planned to make a visit back uh, for a little bit longer time, knows that things aren't going well, and his heart is just burdened by what is going there. And so when they go to Troas, he says that the gospel was opened up because previously when they went through Troas, um, it, it wasn't. And so he said, but because of the burdens I have, we went on, I, I needed to go and find out what's going on. So, so go to chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians. Because when Paul left Ephesus, this is kind of what's happening. And we only see this revealed through his letters here. <clears throat> 
And so in verse 5, um, actually, let's see here. Uh, verse 2, make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. You see kind of Paul's like passion for the, the Corinthians. He says, I'm acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort. In all our afflictions, I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, so after they left Troas, they went to Macedonia to start making their way to, uh, to where Corinth was in, in southern Greece. It says, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. And we see right here in that passage, as, as Luke is even talking about encouragement, and we're going to see that there's comfort in the next section that we go to, that Paul's talking about this idea of being comforted here by Titus coming to, find, to give a, uh, a report. So there's unrest in their soul. And just like as Kristen mentioned, that you know, comfort can be a kind of time of peace during a time of difficulty. And so it says, not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, again, a letter that he wrote previously, he says, I don't regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you've proved yourselves innocent in this matter. So although I write to you, wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God, therefore we are comforted. And so, and he continues kind of that, that same thing you know, uh, as he finishes out this, this chapter. So the idea is that Paul is, is making his way to um, Corinth. We talked about this, that Paul's original you know, end goal is to make it to Jerusalem. So why did he go that direction? He went that direction so he could continue ministering to the church. But these things are going on during this time in, um, in Acts as Paul is making his way through these different places. And we notice that the language is, and if you read 2 Corinthians, there's a lot of places where he talks about being, being despaired, even to the point of death that death would be a comfort to them. And so his journey wasn't an easy journey. The things that he experienced in Ephesus and the things that they would experience along the way, you know, Luke just kind of glosses over. But Paul reveals that in 2 Corinthians, kind of where their heart is and what things that they are dealing with. And the biggest anguish is the fact that there was unrest, that things weren't settled. Because Paul could only deal with them. Again, I said he made a trip there, but for the most part, Paul's communication with them is through letters, right? And if anyone's ever sent a text or an email or maybe even a letter that maybe was misconstrued, you probably all know that, you know, there's never really rest when somebody responds and they're like, well, that, they didn't respond how I thought they would respond. Usually what's the, you know, the next course of action, especially if you want to resolve an issue, is 
you want to see them face to face, right? And so this is a little bit longer journey to make, and Paul's got you know churches everywhere that he's trying to minister to, but <laughs> we see that kind of his heart revealed as he's he's going there. And so as he's going through, going back to Acts, we see kind of Paul's you know main objective when he's in Macedonia. What does it what does it say in verse two? says, when he had gone through those regions, what did he give to them? He gave them what? Much encouragement. Yeah, so back in Acts chapter 20, verse 2, that he gave them much encouragement. That Paul, again, stopping back, and, and again, if we, if we went back and looked at, you know, what happened in Philippi? You guys remember what happened in Philippi when he was there? Yeah, so there's, there's a lot of that. He, meet, he meets a, the you know, group of, of women that were praying. Uh, Lydia stays at her house, you know, that, but he's thrown in jail. Um, he leaves actually that situation kind of on a high note because even though he was beaten and thrown in jail, uh, the magistrates had to come and apologize because they didn't realize he was a Roman citizen. But because of that, right, you know, the, the Philippian jailer came to faith in Jesus when they went to Thessalonica. Right? He was kind of run out of town. And then they went to the Berea, and it was uh, an encouragement there, but the Jewish you know, leaders went down to Berea and ran him out of town. So he makes his way all the way down to Athens and kind of flees that area. But every, you know, going back to Macedonia meant going back to the places that he was either thrown in jail or run out of town. And so you can just see that it's not like the bandwagon's like, hey, Paul's coming in town. For the church, they feel like that. But for the people, they're like, that Paul's coming back in town. And so he's there in the midst of that to encourage the churches because that is what you know, the Lord has pressed upon his heart to do, to not come and say, hey guys, you know, it's really tough, you know, let's keep our heads down, let's stay, lay low. But I want to encourage you to stay strong. And you know, Paul opens up a little bit in 2 Corinthians and kind of reveals you know, the side of him that says you know, we're in anguish and we're, you know, we're hurting. Um, but for the people... He's there to encourage them. Not to say he didn't you know, share those things, but he wants to make sure that they're on a good footing. Now that word for encouragement is kind of is, is interesting. It's called, uh, the, the Greek word is parakaleo. And so sometimes there's a word that uh, comes from that called the paraclete. Does anyone know where that word comes from or who that word refers to, the paraclete? What's that? It's an advocate, okay? And the advocate was what Jesus referred to regarding what? I think some of you hear it. The Holy Spirit, right? When I leave, then the helper or the advocate or the comforter, sometimes the word is there. And that's the same word that we see, that the Holy Spirit, um, uh, that role that the Holy Spirit plays in the believer's life, right? When we say, what is the, the Holy Spirit's role? The Holy Spirit's role is, is a lot of things. What, what are the, some of those roles? He says helper, advocate, comforter, but then he kind of, you know, uh, explains a little bit more when Jesus said, when I leave, the Holy Spirit will come. What does this Holy Spirit do? Convicts men of sin. Convicts men of sin. Okay, so there's that conviction. Can you be encouraged by conviction? Yes. Okay. How so? Because he also convicts people of the sufficiency of Christ. Okay. So not only like conviction of sin, which is, is kind of like, you know, uh, weakness in your own strength, 
but then placing it on who that will, on the Lord, right, to, uh, to fulfill any need that we have. So not only conviction, but what else? Intercession. Intercession, okay. What else? Fruit. What's that? Fruit. Fruit, okay. To minister to us, to then act out, you know, in a way that would produce fruit, that uh, shows that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Um, what else did I hear? Teaching. Okay, right? To bring God's word to your mind, whether you're speaking the gospel to other people, you know, and Jesus said you'll be standing before, um, you know, governors and, and, you know, people like that. And so bring back and recall teaching for what reason? Either for conviction or for encouragement or for all of these things. And so it's interesting that same term is what Paul kind of embodies that, that when Jesus said the, you know, the helper, the advocate will come, well, the advocate is coming to these churches through Paul. Right? Paul isn't the Holy Spirit, but he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's acting in the same role that the Holy Spirit would act in, in a physical form to say, hey, you know, um, this is what we need to do. And you can read uh, you know, all the letters that, that Paul writes, to whether it's to the Galatians or the Philippians or the Thessalonians, and how that looks different. Sometimes it's conviction, where Paul just comes out right at the gate and says, you know, stop what you're doing, and sometimes it's more like, you know, getting, you know wrapping, wrapping his arm around them and encouraging them and comforting them and saying, hey, you know, who's bewitched you? Um, why are you following these things? And uh, so we see that. We see that that's what Paul is doing. And the Lord will do that in our own lives. We said, what are some physical ways that the Lord encourages us? And a big one is through people, all right? Through people. And so that's why the Lord, you know, encourages us to continue to meet together so we can encourage one another. Well, he moves on. We'll, we'll get back to this, this uh, idea in a little bit. So he moves on to, from Macedonia, and where does he end up? He b- says, after the, he went through those regions, giving them much encouragement, he came to Greece. He doesn't say where he get, went, but specifically when he goes to Greece, there's only two places he's been so far. One is Athens, and the other is Corinth. Likely it's Corinth, because uh, Corinth is the capital of that region, Achaia. Sometimes it's, it's referred to as that. And when he went to that area, it says there he spent three months. And likely it was there in Corinth that he would spend the majority of his time. We've already talked about why Corinth. Um, you know, He's not just coming in for a weekend and being like, hey, is everything okay? How long does he spend with them? Three months, okay? So we see that while Paul is on a timetable that he leaves Macedonia, we read earlier um, the last couple weeks that he wants to make it back to Jerusalem uh, before Pentecost, that he's going to spend some time and make sure that he's going to minister to them. And three months is what he feels is sufficient to spend time there before he he needs to make it back um, to Jerusalem. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, what's going on. So he decides to leave Corinth, you know, and again, 2 Corinthians is, again, that window into not everything has been resolved, but Paul is coming, you know, again, to minister to them and make sure that everything is okay um, because he cares about all of his churches that he has been to, that he has uh, ministered to. And so it says that he's going to leave and head to Syria. Now, why Syria? You guys remember what, Churches in Syria? What's that? Antioch. Antioch, yeah. And I've said this multiple times, that Antioch would be what, uh, what church to, to Paul? 
I would, yeah, I refer to it as his kind of home church, his sending church. It was a church that you know, the elders gathered around and prayed and fasted and, and sent him out, he and Barnabas, and he continues to go back and report what's going on. So it's likely that he's going to go back to, that, to Antioch and then up to Jerusalem. That seems he's done that the last couple times. Um, he wants to eventually make his way to Jerusalem. So he's going to get on a boat, sail across the Mediterranean uh, to Syria, but something prevents him. And what is that? What prevents him from getting on a boat right then and going to Syria? There was a plot made against him. And uh, by whom? By the Jews. By the Jews. Now, you know, we didn't see uh, much turmoil when Paul was in Corinth by the Jews. Um, but at this point, we see. You know, eventually, the Jews turn against him, um, just like the Ephesians turned against him, um, although it took a, a lot longer. But after three months of Paul being there, and even though it's a, a city of a couple hundred thousand people, um, you know, the, the large Jewish population uh, has pushed them to the point, just like if we went all the way back to the early, you know, uh, the early church under Peter and John and how repeatedly the Sanhedrin kept throwing them in jail. Eventually, they plotted you know, against them. And Paul was one of those men who, <laughs> who led that charge to drag people out of their homes. Um, Stephen was stoned before that. And so we start seeing that you know, their desires to put a stop to Christianity has murderous intentions. And so Paul hears about that. And so, um, so why do you think he changes course? He hears that something's about to happen. And so he's going to take the, a land route instead of by ship. He's eventually going to have to get on a ship. Um, but why do you think he's more? Why do you think taking the land route is is better for him than getting on a ship? It's probably obvious and practical. <laughs> yeah, you got. You got if, you, if there's a plot against you on a boat, you know, you're kind of isolated. And so he doesn't know who's, who's in charge of this and how many people, but a lot can happen late at night on a boat. And so a lot can happen, though, on the road um, to another place, but if he's going to go by the road, there's a lot less dangers that he's going to encounter. It's going to be, um, you know, probably, uh, probably more open to, to others finding out about it. And so he decides to set a different course. Plus, if they think that he's going on the boat and he just changes course, you know, uh, they're, they're going to continue along that route. And that's, it's not going to be the last time that somebody wants Paul dead. We're actually going to see this again, and we'll see, uh, you know, kind of how the hearts of the Jews are, are against what Paul is doing. And so, um, so he goes, but he goes with a gr- group of people. And as we see these men, we have uh, Sopater, uh, we have Aristarchus, we have Secundus, we have Gaius, we have Timothy, and it says the Asians, Tychicus, and Trophimus. So how many guys accompany Paul? Seven. You know, and there's probably some others. We'll find out that Luke joins them, Titus was somewhere along the mix, maybe he's sent off. But we, we at least know seven guys are coming with him. We actually see the way that they're listed are kind of in geographical order from a route that would go by land from Greece to um, Jerusalem, if you went through Turkey. So it's just, you know, so as uh, he's leaving, he's got a group of men, seven, that's the most we've seen that is traveling with Paul. Now, why do you think that, you know, Paul would take that many 
men with him. There's probably a lot of practical reasons, but it's just good to kind of stop and think. What are some, some things that we can start seeing about Paul's ministry um, in taking some of these people with him? And all of these people are mentioned in other places. Uh, so Potter is going to be mentioned in Romans, uh, which was written likely from Corinth when maybe Paul was there. Some think it's during that three-month period that he writes it there, but it could be later. Aristarchus, uh, he was the guy that was seized in Ephesus right before they left, and he's continuing with Paul. Um, he's mentioned in, in Romans. He's mentioned in Philemon. Um, he's mentioned as a fellow prisoner with Paul in the letter to the Colossians. Um, Timothy is there, and Timothy, he's got two letters written to him and, and mentioned in, in most of the letters as Paul's ministry companion. And Tychicus and Trophimus are both mentioned in Paul's letters as well. Trophimus was sick in 2 Timothy near the end of Paul's ministry. So we see that, that even years later that these guys are mentioned um, as being companions, whether right by his side or sick and you know, thinking about them, um, or Paul just saying hi to you know, those that are in that particular ministry. And so what are we seeing develop as Paul is going along? Right, right. You know, you could say one sense, you could say maybe he took seven guys for protection. And that would definitely be true. You know, he's got more people to travel with. But that would be the first time that we see this, and he would have needed protection in other places too. But I think what we're seeing is him bringing these guys from all different areas, right? He's able to, to teach them, disciple them, encourage them. It was just the fact that, you know, when Jesus, you know, how many guys followed after Jesus? There's a lot of people that followed after Jesus. Hundreds of people followed after Jesus. But Paul, you know, Jesus had 12 disciples that he kind of named out and listed. And that was typical for people to kind of follow a rabbi, follow a teacher, to see what they do, to see how they're instructed. And Paul, now we're seeing it towards the end of this missionary journey, that as well. We're going to see later that Paul is getting an impression that something is going to happen to him a little bit later on. And I think that impression is also you know, rubbing off in the fact that he, needs, he wants to make sure that when he's gone, if something happens to him, that he's got people that can carry on the torch. And if you read Timothy and you read Titus, that's exactly how kind of Paul speaks to them as you are kind of carrying on the torch and then finding other people that will carry on your torch. And that's just how you know, we need to think as followers of Jesus Christ. And so discipleship is important for Paul. And so after, after that he's done in Greece, and they, instead of leaving you know, to go directly across, they go back up through Macedonia, um, which would have added some time to his trip. Uh, it says that they went, a, went ahead, and this is exactly where we see um, verse 5. It says, these went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. So now we see, as Eric mentioned, we see us being mentioned. And who is the us indicating? Who's writing this letter? So it's Luke, right? So Luke has now joined them. We saw us when Paul was going from Troas to Philippi. So some conject that, uh, that Luke had stayed in Philippi and just was kind of kept abreast of the situation from either Timothy coming through, from you know, Ephesus and what's, all the things that are going on. Um, there's another theory that when you get on a boat, you start talking in the plural, uh, sing, plural sense us and we, um, that would be true here as well. It's an interesting, interesting thought. But we definitely see, see Luke, and we know Luke are with this group, even though Paul sends them ahead. Probably sends them ahead for a couple of reasons. One, 
is there was an, a, an open door in the gospel. And so we're going to send you guys ahead and do that. Two, we need to get a boat in order to get back to, uh, back to where we're, we're going to need to go. And so sending them ahead to kind of um, secure some of those details. And then some would say that Paul wanted to stay in Philippi for a little bit longer um, because what, what's, what's he talking about? Uh, you know, he's there through what um, celebration? So the days of unleavened bread, which is also known as what? Yeah, the Passover. So Paul is there during the Passover. Now, the clock is ticking. So Passover to Pentecost. You guys remember how many days that is? So 50. Yeah, Penta is, is 50 or 5. And uh, you see that idea that it's 50 days or 7 weeks, 49 days after that um, when Paul needs to get to Jerusalem or he, he wants to get to Jerusalem. But he wants to stay in Philippi, even though there wasn't a large Jewish population. For some reason, he wants to stay there through that time, send the others ahead. And it says, in five days, we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for another week, another seven days. It's interesting to see, too, um, weather-wise, it took them two days to get from Troas uh, to the port near Philippi, and it takes them five days to go back. And so we see now the weather is kind of acting against them. And so the next journey, we're going to see that they go a place and they stay, and then they, you know, another night, and then another night. And it's taking them a little bit longer to get back during uh, this time. So, um, so we see, again, Paul's mission as he goes through is, is for encouragement. Um, and uh, we'll pause there. Uh, Paul's going to get to a place where something happens. It's kind of interesting. Something happens, and uh, he's going to comfort the people while he's there. Um, but we want to keep kind of that, that idea in mind about how Paul is doing these things and to then impress upon our hearts how we can do the same for other people. What are ways that we can encourage one another in the church? What are some ways that we can encourage one another in the church? You can maybe even think of what are ways that people have encouraged you in the, in the church, in the body of Christ. What's that? Pray for them. Okay? And I think not only praying for them, but what's, what's, what else? It's, well, so, I'm sorry. Uh, on that idea of praying for them, is not only just praying for them, which is important, but I think even telling them that you're praying for them is important as well. Because one of the things about prayer is that um, prayer connects you with God, it connects you with those other people. We see that in Paul's letters, that whenever he's talking about prayer, that he is encouraged by prayers for him and knowing about that, and that he's telling them, I'm praying for you, and it just deepens that relationship with other people. So prayer is an important one, and I think even just telling somebody, hey, just, just want to let you know that I'm praying for you during this time. Um, what are some other ways that we can encourage people in the church? What's that? Serving them. How does serving look? What are some tangible ways we can serve other people? Food? I mean, we talked about food is a good way. Zach? Okay. And it's, it's interesting, you know, with, with our kids, there's, there's people that kind of, I, I don't know, come out of the woodwork that sometimes you don't even know, you know, hadn't met before, but that bring you a meal. And there's something about when somebody brings you a meal that, you know, connects you with them. Um, again, a small gesture uh, that, 
you know, can mean a lot. I can even remember when we were in California in seminary, some of the, uh, we were in a college ministry, some of the college students that brought us food, um, and even one, you know, uh, well, he was, I guess he was working at the time, you know, ordered us food, and it was, it was awesome. It was great. Still think back to that, right? So food is one of the ways you can encourage people um, for that. And thinking back to being invited to people's houses and, and you know, as, as um, we'll see next week, they break bread, uh, which is taking communion, but breaking bread at that time was also having a larger meal and investing time with them. So what are some other ways? So serving, though, bringing meals is a good one. What are other ways you can serve people? Okay. So, yeah, so just kind of communicate during that time. Uh, Phil? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there are tangible, tangible things like moving. I remember helping a guy move, and uh, there was only a few people that, that helped, helped out, and uh, he ended up coming to the church uh, where we were at because just helping him move. He's like, where do you go to church? And it kind of you know, ended up being something like that. You know, typically, we, we do help people within the church, but if somebody who is outside, by meeting those needs, you can kind of then even minister to other people. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just physical needs that, like, I don't need this, but maybe it would help you, and, and that can be a blessing to other people. And there's a lot of different ways, and we can spend, you know, a, a lot more time kind of talking about these things, but I just want to kind of bring them back to our minds, you know, especially if it's like, how can I serve, you know, how am I, what are my gifts, what are ways, you know, that the Lord can use me. There's a lot of different ways that sometimes we don't think are very spiritual, but they are encouraging, right? There are just ways that we can minister to other people by physically doing some things that even sometimes we think like, hey, it was really no big deal. You know, I was making a meal. I just made two and I just handed you, you know, one. It's not a big deal, but on the receiving end, it can be a huge deal to way that we can encourage one another in the church, especially there are times that we don't even know what other people are going through. And just to kind of continue to have that, you know, outward thinking will bless them, but also will bless ourselves as well and make us stronger as a body of Christ. So, well, uh, you know, we didn't get to uh, the next section, but I wanted to kind of cut us off early to kind of talk about some of these things and be able to dismiss us. But is there any kind of final thoughts, you know, on this idea, as we see, is Paul encouraging and kind of bringing this home to how we can do the same? All right, well, you can, you can bless uh, one another by, by stacking up your, your chair.